we need to recognize or learn for ourselves what enables us to be our healthiest self physically and mentally and make sure that we are including those things in our lives to the best of our ability. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to another episode of Live an Extraordinary Life. I am your host, Tim Bishop, and this podcast serves as a guide to help you define what an extraordinary life is for yourself. And today, I am very excited to introduce Polly Kuntz. She is a nutrition coach, and I'm excited to talk to her because I've been personally way more interested in nutrition in my own life, and I'm excited to see what I can learn from her and what she can share with you all. Polly, how are you doing today? Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I am doing just great. Thank you. Awesome. Well, why don't you give people a rundown in your own words what it, exactly it is that you do? Okay. Yeah. And just a slight clarification on my title. Um, I think you said nutrition coach. It's actually a little broader than that. Um, my, my title is actually a health and wellness coach. Okay. So really that covers more than just nutrition we help coach people on all sorts of health topics. So everything from nutrition to managing stress to exercise to weight loss to cholesterol, blood pressure, diabetes, um, menopause, tobacco cessation. So it's really a rather broad umbrella. Um, and the whole idea with um, health coaching is it's an opportunity to be there to support someone on their health and wellness journey, whatever that might be. And a lot of times people may go to the doctor and learn that they either need to lose weight or they need to quit smoking or they need to better manage their stress or they need to lower their cholesterol. And because of the way our current um, medical system works. These doctors have very little time to spend with their patients. And so they may get that, the patient may get that information from their doctor in a fairly abbreviated visit. And what ends up happening a fair amount of the time is the patient leaves that doctor's appointment feeling overwhelmed. How do I quit smoking? How do I lower my cholesterol? How do I lose weight? I've tried it before and have not been successful. So that's where we can step in as a health coach and be there to hold their hand on that journey. Uh, that may look a little bit different for different individuals. Some people might want a really supportive, encouraging voice to guide them. Some people might want a lot of directions. Some people, I would say the vast majority, know what steps they need to make for themselves, but they are just not executing that in their lives. Currently, um, some people want an accountability partner. They just want somebody who's going to check in with them once a month and say, did you do this? This was your goal that you said you were going to do last time we talked. Did you do it? If not, why not? Um, but the whole idea is to be there to help them make some really small steps to start making progress towards their overall health and wellness goal and to support them along the way. Awesome. Okay. I, I didn't know. So it's a more, it's a more holistic approach. You kind of cover all aspects of, of pushing people's health forward. And it sounds like you kind of just like, so a doctor would tell somebody what to do, or they kind of have an idea of what they should do. And you help them create that into a, a real life sort of action plan and make sure that 
you're holding them accountable to kind of seeing that through for them and helping them accomplish those goals? Yes, absolutely. And so we really do look at every coaching opportunity um, by looking at that person um, in a whole person approach. So like I, like you just said, I mean, it's more than just nutrition. It's how is their mental health and well-being? How is their physical health and well-being? Um, what are their social connections in life? What is their stress level like? You know, because health is made up of a whole multitude of factors and our stress, for instance, can influence the way we eat. It might affect our sleep. It might affect our energy. And so there's just so many different tangents that can affect our overall health and well-being. And so we do look at people with a whole person approach and really try to understand where their opportunities are for them to improve um, their health and to, to make some small steps that feel realistic and attainable towards their goals. And like I said, if someone hears from the doctor that they need to lose 50 pounds, they may not know where to begin. And so we might start with a really small step. Maybe right now they're drinking five cans of Coke a day. And maybe the one step that they're going to work on between now and when I talk to them again in another month is to go down to three sodas a day. Um, you know, and maybe after a few months, we're going to start incorporating some vegetables into their diet because they're not currently doing that. But the whole idea is to make it feel manageable and also to really celebrate their successes along the way as they start making progress towards their goals. Hmm. So, yeah, so it sounds like taking a, a more sustainable approach and helping people kind of break down their bigger goals into ways that is realistic for them and attainable for them. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Cool. Is there a thing that you find yourself within the clients you've worked with? Have you seen a certain type of, of problem like more than, than another one, I guess is what I'm trying to ask. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think weight loss is probably one of the biggest, most common problems that people come to us um, with. But I would also say um, stress is pretty high on the list as well. Um, and then I think another a uh, common one that I'm personally working with right now is tobacco cessation. And that just happens to be because of a client that I have been assigned in my company, um, Virgin Pulse, where I work with 200 other health coaches. We get assigned, you know, various different clients. And I happen to be assigned a client right now, um, which is basically the Louisiana Smoking Cessation Trust. So, that is very focused on tobacco cessation. So in the last few months, my calls have been mainly around that. But I would mm. say generally throughout a year's time, my biggest, probably the highest percentage of people I talk to are is around weight loss, I would say. Cool. Yeah, so I, I definitely have some questions uh, queued about nutrition and, and weight loss. But I'm curious uh, about stress. You just brought that up and I was just talking to a friend this morning actually and we were talking about how there was some stat out there and again, I don't know the validity of all these stats, but about like one third of Americans, they, they kind of said were like chronically stressed and I don't exactly even know what all that means, but there's clearly, clearly a lot of like stress out in the world and right when you said yeah. that, my mind goes to, well, what is the first, what's the first step you take when someone tells you, Hey, I'm, I'm stressed. Like, how do you, how do you break that down and help people 
you know, try to like decompress some of that and get rid of some of that stress in their life. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Stress is incredibly common in the world that we live in right now for a whole multitude of reasons. I would say generally the approach, you know, when we start talking with someone about stress is, well, tell me, tell me a little bit about that. What are your sources of stress? Is it work? Is it personal? Is it family? You know, and some people are willing to share more than others, but in general, it's, a combination of work and or personal life, right? And then we kind of start talking about what aspects of your stress are within your control and which aspects of your stress are not in your control. So, um, you know, there are aspects of our lives that are not in our control. And if we stress about those, it doesn't do us any good, right? Because right. It, it, it's not something we have the power to change. Whereas there are other aspects of our lives, we do have the power to change. And so we might talk about that. But um, more importantly, you know, even if there is something you can change to reduce your stress, chances are that might take a little bit of time. And so what can you do in the meantime to deal with that stress? And everybody's different. I think that's the other primary note about health coaching is we believe different things work for different people. We're, we're all kind of in our own little individual science experiment when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to diets that work for us, when it comes to exercise, when it comes to ways of relieving stress. But in general, there are some categories that have do tend to help the majority of people in terms of relieving stress. And so we talk about those and those are um, any kind of physical activity. So in general, some form of physical activity is usually very helpful for people to relieve stress. And that can, that can look different for different people. That might be a kickboxing class for one person. It might be a walk around the lake for another person. And, you know, we need to find out what kind of physical activity do they enjoy? What, what might feel good to them. If they're doing physical activity, is it helpful for them to be outdoors? Do they want to be looking at trees and lakes and, and streams, or do they, are they okay being in a gym on a treadmill? And um, along those lines, nature also is generally very therapeutic for people in terms of relieving stress. So getting out of the hustle and bustle of the city, getting away from the noise, actually being able to see something in the outdoors, um, being in a park setting, hearing the birds, seeing the sunshine, uh, those types of uh, situations can generally help to lower our, our stress levels. Um, in addition to that, there's a whole host of relaxation techniques that we encourage people to think about. So those would be some deep breathing practices that are really helpful that you can do multiple times a day that literally slow down your heart rate and can also just make us feel more calm and focused again. Uh, there are guided meditation um, exercises that can be done that, again, typically focus on breathing. Yoga as a form of exercise often has a focus on your breath and an intention for your practice and or for your day, um, which can be a very helpful um, mental 
attitude to take. Um, journaling can be really helpful for some people. Some people just really need to write down those thoughts and get all of that on a piece of paper and, you know, write down what's frustrating to them, why it's frustrating to them. Um, and as a contrast to that, we also really encourage people to think about a gratitude practice. So as bad as your day might be, where you just think everything went wrong, that could possibly go wrong, chances are there's one small nugget at least in there that was a good thing in your day. And it can be extraordinarily helpful to focus on that. So it might be something really, really small. It might be that someone opened the door for you when you had your arm full of three bags in a box and you couldn't do it by yourself. It might be a smile you shared with a coworker on an elevator. It might be the fact the sun is shining after a week of cloudy, rainy weather. It, it might be, I don't know, something delicious you had for dinner. But there's probably some nugget that you can look back on over the course of the day and be grateful for. And the more you have those thoughts of gratitude, the more those thoughts become automatic and that builds in balance and allows you to see that life isn't maybe as bad, as stressful as you thought because you're being more mindfully present of what is in your life. So that can be a really helpful way of dealing with stress um, as well. So those are just some, some ideas. I rambled on for a while there. Yeah, no, those are, those are all great examples. I, I enjoyed hearing you list those off. And yeah, I'm curious because I've been, I've been doing a gratitude practice for a bit now and I, I never thought about it, I guess, in the way of, it becoming kind of more automatic and you're kind of resetting how your brain works, I guess, and, and having it be more trained to see those good things. And is that kind of the pitch? Cause I've, I've tried to like pitch it to some people sometimes. I'm not exactly sure what to say when, you know, I'm like, but this is good. Like it's bringing joy and gratitude to your life. And they're kind of like, well, why should I implement this practice? Like on a, on a real sense, like give me a, a pitch and a, a convincing argument. And is that kind of what you tell people how it's like, it's kind of training your brain to, automatically have these more positive thoughts throughout your day or what's what do you tell a client yeah. when you tell them to start a gratitude practice yeah so i mean there has been some research done on how our thoughts can almost create a path in our brain we if we tend to really focus on the negative thoughts what's going wrong, what we're stressed about. We actually, some research is showing, kind of pave this negative pathway in our brain. And that becomes the most commonly used path. That's the path that we get to, to go from you know point A to B. It's kind of like this rut that we dig for ourselves. And I'm, I'm probably not describing it very scientifically, uh, but the gist of it is just that, that, you know, when that's what we focus on, we train our brain to continue going down that negative path again and again and again and again. And when we 
shift that and start thinking about what's going well, we start shifting the pathway of our thought to go down a positive track instead of down that negative path every single time. And it really shifts our perspective and it really allows us to see the light, you know, the other side of the equation. Um, and like I said, it, it's a matter of training ourselves to have that um, more automatic positive thought versus continuing to go down that really well-worn negative path. Um, but the more we train ourselves and practice, and it takes practice, it takes practice, deep breathing takes practice, meditation takes practice. These are all things that take time to build, but the more you do it, the better you get at it. And to your point, like we said, I mean, the more automatic those thoughts come and that just really creates more balance in our life. Awesome. Cool. Well, now I'll have an answer next time when somebody asks me why I do a gratitude practice. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. I want to, I want to take two steps back and uh, talk about you for a sec. I, I know um, since you worked with my mother that you have a little bit of a backstory on how you got to where you are today. And I'm curious if you would share a little bit of your career evolution um, from what you were doing before and how you got to being a health and wellness coach. Because um, I know there's kind of a journey you went down personally to get to this point. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so I won't bore you with too many details of the, the beginning, but the gist of it is I went to University of Wisconsin-Madison, which I think you know, uh, majored in Go retail. Yes, I was a Badger, absolutely. And um, had a fabulous experience there, majored in retail. I was hired in Minneapolis at um, the Dayton's department store um, and started my career there in retail in the buying office. Um, over the years, I uh, merged into the IT space, which is where I went, met your mom. And uh, we've been friends ever since, which has been wonderful. And uh, so I was in the IT space at this Fortune 100 company in Minneapolis for 20 plus years. And for the most part, enjoyed the, the first, I don't know, call it 18-ish years of that. It was really the last couple years of that role that I started questioning whether or not I wanted to do that anymore. And the role that I had had was changing. The expectations were that I was to become a lot more technical, which was not my interest nor my skill set. And I began to think about other options for myself and really had no idea what else I wanted to do. And I had a I just stop and think, what do I want to be when I grow up, even though I was already <laughs> in my mid to late 40s. And so I ended up working with a career coach, which was a fantastic experience. She worked with me for three or four months to really understand what was important to me, what my interests were, and I knew that I wanted to try and find something that would help other people. I wanted to find a, a job that was just more fulfilling on a personal level that I would just 
feel like I was doing something for others and helping others in their life. And I was interested in health and wellness, but I didn't know in what capacity I could explore that. And through my career coach, I discovered the world of health coaching, which I didn't even know existed Hmm. prior to that. And so that was probably in 2014, I figured that out. And I found a certification class that I could do mainly online. It was the Institute for Integrative Nutrition that offered a 12-month online class to become a health and wellness coach. So I signed up for that, and I completed that in, I want to say, May of 2015. And then I started looking for a health coach job. I was very fortunate to land a job at the company that I'm currently with, which is called Virgin Pulse. It was called Red Brick Health at the time. And Virgin Pulse has, I believe I maybe earlier stated, at least 200 health coaches. I don't know the exact number. We are health coaches for uh, people all over the country for various different clients. And since getting my certification through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, the field of health and well-being coaches has undergone some standardization, which is important for, you know, just really quality health coaching. So I have also since been board certified by the National Organization of Health and Wellbeing Coaches. Um, and that's a, I think that's an important distinction for health coaches going forward to be under this standard umbrella of this board certification. So I now have that as well. And um, I have to say, it has just been a complete 180-degree change from my job in IT at the Fortune 100 company. I have tremendous sense of personal satisfaction and fulfillment in what I do every day. I, I talk to people all day long every day that are working on some aspect of their health and well-being. And not every single one of those people appears to be extremely grateful, but many of them are very grateful just to have someone to talk to and to hold their hand on their journey, to be there to support them, to encourage them month after month. And it is just really, really rewarding work. I I really enjoy it. Well, that's awesome to hear. Um, yeah, yeah, it's that's great. That's a cool, uh, cool story. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm interested because I, one of the big things that I find myself asking, um, asking myself a lot and asking other people, you know, is kind of the, the process of finding what one might call a calling or just something that you feel like this is, this is work that I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm going to repeat back what I heard and you can fill in the gaps that I'm missing, but it sounds like you were looking for kind of more fulfilling work and you found a career based around interests that you already had and you, that you didn't even know existed, but um, you kind of built it around interests you already had and something that kind of had this deeper purpose, which is now helping people. And would you say those are kind of the two main factors when you were thinking about, okay, I'm leaving Target, which I've been at for a lot of years. 
the criteria I'm looking for is something that is going to fulfill me and also something that kind of aligns with the interests that I, that I already have? Were those kind of the two criteria you were looking at or was there another one that was at play? Yeah. No, that was absolutely it. Yep. Very well summarized. Yep. Cool. And I'm, yeah. I'm curious that that conversations that you had with that career coach, because again, you'd been a target for a long time. So to make yeah. a change, I'm sure was scary. Uh, you made it sound like it was simple when you described it, but I'm sure there was, you know, there was some, uh, some stress involved in that. But is there like one kind of piece of advice you remember from that career coach that, that really kind of opened your eyes to something? Or was there one thing that they had shared with you that kind of just really stuck with you and even to this day maybe? I think, you know, what was great about working with that career coach is she really helped me to take some time to think about what it is that was important to me, what would be fulfilling, what I wanted, what my values were, you know, what kind of lifestyle I wanted, life work balance, for instance. And I think it was, you know, through all those conversations that I was able to zero in on this because there's a lot to think about, right? You know, you think about the work itself, right? Like, what kind of work do I want to be doing? Do I want to be sitting at a desk all day, you know, on a computer? Do I want to be outside all day? Do I want to be, you know, in a clinical setting? Do I want to be in a workshop? You know, you think about all the different kinds of jobs out there. What kind of environment do you want to be in? What kind of work do you want to be doing? Um, do you want to be physically active during your day? Do you not want to be physically active during your day? And yes, like you said, I mean, what are your interests? What are your values? H how much how much time do you want to put into your job? Do you, you know, do you want to keep it to 40 hours a week? If it's something you love and you're super passionate about, are you okay working 60 hours a week? Um, I think obviously money is a factor too. Um, but I think what's really you know, more important than anything is happiness, fulfillment in, in the job that you choose. So will you be challenged in a way that you want to be challenged? Will you have opportunities to learn and grow? Um, will you find the work personally fulfilling? Is this a stepping stone to something else? And I think so many people get caught in a rut of a job and we talk about the golden handcuffs in corporate America, which is a very real scenario of being in a job for X number of years, making this certain salary and realizing, okay, if I make a change, will I have to take a pay cut? And I did have to, in this instance, take a pay cut. But to me, it was completely worth it for my sense of happiness, my sense of fulfillment, personal enjoyment. So you have to look at all the factors combined. And I think, you know, when I was going through this whole change, it was kind of a lesson that I was sharing with my kids to say, you don't have to be stuck. Don't ever feel stuck. You can always make a change and you should always be open to making a change if you just if you land a job and after a couple of years it's really not what you wanted don't feel stuck you know feel free to move on and and keep looking for um what seems like a better fit 
Hmm. Yeah. Wow. I love that. You don't have to feel stuck. It's, it is a choice that you can make for yourself to, to move on from that. I like, I like that perspective. Thanks for sharing that. Sure. Um, so I want to, I want to transition, uh, into some of the kind of nutrition and, and weight loss stuff because you said that's a big thing. But before we do that, my final question about, about your story now, cause you were talking about it. I want to just hear in a summarized sense of, you know, this, how do you summarize when you say what gives this, this new job, uh, fulfillment to you now and, and kind of joy, like what is, what is it about this new job now that kind of brings you this feeling of fulfillment and, and meaning? So when I see people making progress towards their goals, whether it's weight loss, stress reduction, whatever it might be, tobacco cessation, and they are happy with that. You know, I talk to people and even if they only lost two pounds, they might be super excited about that, you know, and when I can hear the enthusiasm in their voice about the changes that they're making and how they're feeling about that, you know, that just is wonderful. And um, I get excited for them, you know, when, when they're excited about the changes that they've made. And I've talked to a lot of people who have made changes in what they're eating. They've made changes in their physical activity. They've made changes to reduce their stress. They've made changes to sleep better. So many people just don't sleep very well either. And I can just hear the energy in their voice after they've made these changes. And they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was living that life before eating that kind of junk food, sleeping, you know, five hours a day, not getting any physical activity, feeling like crap. And now I feel so much better, you know, and they're just so happy about it. So that's just so rewarding to hear them say that. And then, of course, like I said, there's gonna, there are people who will say to me, I so appreciate these calls. You know, we only talk for 10 minutes, but I, I really appreciate you calling and checking in on me. I can't tell you how much it means. And you're just really helping me on this journey. And of course, that's very rewarding too, right? So just knowing that I'm helping people to find a way to be healthier, mentally, physically, spiritually, whatever way is important for them is just really, really very satisfying and rewarding. Awesome. Cool. Well, we will transition a bit because I, this has been at the top of my mind uh, recently is kind of just the topic of nutrition and trying to identify, I guess, just what's the best way to go about it? Cause I feel like there's just so much information out there and there's all these different kind of diets that people, you know, advocate for, and there's the plant-based movement and there's all these, these things going on in the world. And, um, so I wanted to ask you some questions about that because my first thought was, you know, how do you help people make sense of it all and kind of break it down? Cause I, I do think that there's, you know, kind of a lot of contrasting information, uh, in the world that kind of tells you to eat in different ways. And it might be based off of different goals, but how do you, how do you first go about helping people make sense of like the kinds of foods that they should be eating? Um, and maybe what's the most common things you see people doing wrong when it comes to nutrition and that when someone would first come to you? Yeah, great question. So you're right. Nutrition is a constantly changing science. And we keep hearing conflicting information and it is very confusing to the end consumer. It's confusing to us as health coaches. 
it's constantly changing. Um, but there definitely are some staples um, in terms of nutrition, some guidelines that I don't think will ever change. So I can certainly share those. And then I think the other thing that I want to say is, I think I alluded to this earlier, again, we are all an individual science experiment. So what works for one person does not necessarily work for another. Some person, you know, some, some, um, somebody might do really well on keto and somebody else might have a terrible reaction to the keto diet. Um, some people can tolerate gluten. Some people can't tolerate gluten. Some people do better with dairy. Some people really don't do well with dairy. So I think we are all very individual and we all need to learn how different foods affect us. Um, that being said, there are definitely some constants that we all should try to include more of in our, in our daily eating. And, you know, to start at the highest level, when we talk about nutrition, there are three macronutrients, protein, carbohydrate, and fat. And each of those are required for the human body. They all serve a role. So we need protein to build and repair muscle. We need carbohydrate to fuel our body. It's the primary, it's the, it's the first source of fuel that our body goes to is carbohydrate. Um, and then we need fat as well. Um, and, you know, what many people don't know is that our brains are like 90 plus percent fat. Um, and so it's very important um, to include um, healthy fat in our diet um, as well. The other thing that a lot of people don't realize when we talk about carbohydrates is when we think of carbohydrates, a lot of people think about bread, crackers, pasta, rice, which, of course, are all forms of carbohydrate. But vegetable is carbohydrate, too. And, of course, fruit is carbohydrate. And um, so when we talk about carbohydrate and needing that as a macronutrient, there are better forms of carbohydrate and there are worse forms of carbohydrate, right? And mm. um, so, you know, in general, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really, like I said, generalize here and say that the vast majority of Americans do not get nearly enough vegetable in their diet. Um, so, you know, the goal is that we would be having, um, you know, roughly half of our plate of food or the sum total of what we eat each day should be vegetable. And that would be non-starchy vegetable. So that's, of course, all the salad greens, carrots, peppers, tomatoes, cucumbers, you know, um, all those kinds of vegetables, basically 50% of what we eat should be vegetable, non-starchy vegetable. Then we also need protein, like I said. You can think about that as, you know, roughly 20 to 25% of what we eat. Um, and then the balance would be um, carbohydrate and healthy fat. And again, when we talk about carbohydrates, that includes fruit. That would include all the vegetables, starchy or non-starchy. And then that would also include all the whole grains, so brown rice and, um, you know, wheat bulgur and rye and um, quinoa we consider in there, too. Um, and then healthy fat. So once again, I'm going to generalize here and say that the vast majority of Americans get plenty of fat in their diet, um, but it's not necessarily the right balance of fat. And 
generally not enough of the healthy fats. So those include the omega-3s and some of the others um, that are found in foods like avocado, salmon, tuna, mackerel, um, almonds, walnuts, olive oil, flaxseed. So in general, we need to include more of that into our day-to-day eating habits as well. And um, when it comes to protein, again, that's up to individuals that can be plant-based protein, that can be animal-based protein. Um, So if if you're a vegetarian, that's absolutely fine. Um, Some people feel their best selves when they stick to a vegetarian diet. Some people feel that they feel heavy um, and not as high in energy when they eat animal protein. Other people thrive on animal protein and, you know, can't imagine life without it. Um, So it really doesn't matter which one you go with, just as long as you are getting enough protein and um, enough vegetable, some fruit, and some healthy carbohydrate. And then, you know, in terms of sugar, of course, that's been in the news a lot lately. And in the, you know, 80s and 90s before your time, Tim, (laughs) there was a huge trend to be low fat, all these low fat diets. And there was a lot of low fat food that was marketed and created by all these food manufacturers. And in order to make that food taste good, a lot of times what happened was they added extra sugar to make it taste good, even though it was low fat. And so what ended up happening was a lot of people actually gained weight by eating um, that way because of the excess sugar. Um, And so there's been a lot of learning since. As we said, nutrition is a constantly evolving science. And the latest science is showing that sugar really is one of the main culprits for weight gain. So really trying to keep added sugars to a minimum so the sugar in fruit is not nearly as concerning as the spoonfuls of sugar that you might put in, you know, your coffee or that you would have in that dessert treat or what have you. So just trying to keep added sugars to a minimum, realizing that, again, you don't have to do without it completely, but just keeping it to moderate portions. Thanks for sharing all that. And uh, yeah, I mean, based off on all that, it sounds like, you know, there's different ways to approach it um, based off of different body types. And, and I don't know if you've heard about some of these companies now who are doing like these DNA tests to even see like what your body is, is most suited for when it comes to food, um, which I find to be pretty cool technology that is now (laughs) available to people. But um, if you could sum up like, given the fact that there's all these different kinds of options, like what, what is just like the most sustainable approach that you've seen to this? Cause again, there's, I mean, I've seen it with people in my life who have a goal of losing 40 pounds and they do it and then they gain it back. And you know, it seems to be a yeah. quick fix sort of mentality. And you kind of mentioned really early on in this interview about how you try to, you know, slowly work people into it. But if you could just kind of summarize how you view in your own life, the most sustainable and long lasting approach to nutrition and experimenting with what works best with you, what would you, what would you say to people listening to this uh, if they're going to try to have like a, a good and healthy diet themselves? Yeah. So that's the key right there is 
how to do something that is sustainable. So to that point, we don't typically recommend these crazy diets because they're not sustainable. So in general, if someone wants to try keto, for instance, chances are they're not going to stay on keto for the rest of their lives. So they are going to be eating in a way that is not going to last very long, right? Because there's only so much bacon and cheese and fat that you can eat when after a while you get tired of eating that way. Um, and so what we do encourage people to do is to pick some changes and to slowly evolve the way you eat to be um, more sustainable in the long term. So if you're somebody who doesn't eat any vegetable at all right now, let's start figuring out a way for you to incorporate a vegetable. Let's find one vegetable that you're going to be willing to eat and try to have one serving of that. Let's just start with three or four times a week, maybe. Maybe it's baby carrots. Maybe you're going to be willing to start with baby carrots three or four times a week. Maybe eventually over time you discover that you're actually going to eat red peppers too. And so you start adding that in and we kind of start working toward a lot of vegetables in the long run, knowing that, you know, it might take some time to get there. Um, like I said, fruit, vegetable, protein, and healthy fat in a way that is sustainable. So when you break down every single meal, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, snacks, well, maybe right now they're snacking on a bag of chips. Okay, well, how can we make that snack healthier? Could we go? Could we do carrots and hummus? Could we do an apple and peanut butter? Would you be willing to do a, a low sugar Greek yogurt for a snack? And we we kind of start breaking it down and slowly start changing their habits with what they're eating. And the whole idea is to make it sustainable in the long term. So instead of doing some radical you know, juice diet for three weeks and you go back to what you're eating and you gain the 10 pounds back that you just lost, um, that, that accomplished nothing, right? Um, what kind of changes can you start making that will help you succeed and that you'll be able to stick with long-term? So again, the soda example, right? Like all that sugar and all that soda, how can we start cutting back that soda and start adding in some more water? And hopefully over time, you'll lose your taste for that soda because you'll realize that it's just sweet syrup, you know, and you really just don't <laughs> care for it anymore. Um, and you actually prefer water, you know, but that might take a little while to get you to that point. Um, but those are the kind of changes we start working on with people knowing, you know, the utopia end goal of nutrition that I described, 50% vegetable, 20% protein, you know, 20% um, carbohydrate and, and healthy fat, that, that's going to take, you know, a little while to get there. People don't usually do that overnight, right? Um, but that's the picture we're shooting for. So how can we slowly get you there so that this is the way you can live your life? And of course, at the end of the day, you know, what it really comes down to is your calories, you know, consumed and your calories burned, right? And if you can't get your calories below what you're burning, you're not going to lose weight. Um, there are lots of really awesome apps out there now to log your food, to really learn more about what you are consuming. So my fitness pal is one. Chronometer is another one. 
they're super helpful at letting you know, number one, calories, but also how much carbohydrate is in that food, how much protein is in that food, how much fat is in that food. Oh, and then how about vitamins and minerals? And are you getting enough iron? Are you getting any fiber? You know, all of those kinds of things, which can break it down into more detail. And that can be extremely eye-opening for people because many people just don't even know that they're consuming 3,000 calories a day and they really should be consuming 2,000 calories a day, let's just say, given on their physical activity levels. And so that might be a really great learning process. And when they record, you know, that apple Danish in the morning, they really might not have any idea how many calories it is. And so that exercise can be extremely insightful in terms of helping them make changes too. Sweet. I have a few, a few quick hitter list of questions that I'm just interested in my own life. And the three things on my mind in my own personal nutrition are, one, is there, is there certain things that, that most like human beings would, would maybe lack? Like most, is there a vitamin that a lot of us are missing? Is there a certain food group that a lot of us are missing that you see is very common in uh, the U.S. or maybe even in the world? Um, and you kind of touched on the the plant-based diet already. That's been, I've been interested about that. So I won't ask you about that because we talked about it a bit. But my, my third thing I'm interested in is I am a big kombucha nerd and I, I have kind of obsessed over it because I think it's really good. <laughs> and I'm curious um, from a health perspective, is it, is it a fad or is it actually a, a healthy drink to be consuming um, or, or is it just marketed very well? <laughs> so the two questions I have are then, I guess, what are we, is there something we're all kind of missing and lacking as far as maybe like a vitamin uh, wise goes? And then is there, uh, what is the truth behind the kombucha? I want to, I want to expose it and see, see if it's actually a healthy drink as it claims to be. <laughs> yeah, no, those are two great questions. Um, so in terms of what I think, if I were to generalize what a lot of us are missing, I, I honestly don't know if I could say like if there's a vitamin or a mineral or something like that that we are typically lacking. I think I alluded to it earlier when I said the vast majority of Americans don't get nearly enough vegetables in their diet. Um, so I think, you know, the, the reason why vegetables are so important is because of all the vitamins and minerals and antioxidants and fiber that they offer. So I think if I were to just you know, summarize at a really high level what everyone should try to include more of in their diet is vegetables, vegetables, vegetables. I can't say it enough. Um, Eat more it's veggies. Probably, it's, it's, the, it's the biggest thing that we all need to do a better job of. And um, going to the kombucha. So, yes, you probably have heard the reason why kombucha is having such a moment is because of the probiotics and because of the fact that it is fermented and so another uh, big focus right now in terms of health and well-being is the microbiome, which you may or may not have heard of as well. So that really is speaking to our gut health. And when we talk about our microbiome, there, our microbiome is filled with bacteria for digesting our food and for many other um, purposes. And many of us, um, have both good bacteria and bad bacteria in our microbiome. The whole idea behind kombucha and other fermented foods are the wonderful probiotics that they offer. 
which can really help the good bacteria to thrive and flourish in that microbiome. And that's what we want for optimal health. They initially were focusing on the microbiome in terms of um, specifically our gut health, but I think they are doing more and more research and learning that the microbiome is extremely important for many of our functions, including our brain functions and, um, you know, many other areas of our health and wellness. So, yes, kombucha is having a moment. I really enjoy it too, Tim. I'm with you on that. <laughs> and um, all of the fermented foods are really in that category. So, um, you know, you probably have heard about um, kimchi and um, other, like, like real fermented sauerkraut, like not the kind that comes in a can at the grocery store, but the actual like real fresh fermented sauerkraut would be another form of a fermented food. The kombucha, of course, um, you know, people are also taking probiotic pills, which right now they're debating the effectiveness of those as to whether or not we really can absorb that into our system or not. Um, but yes, that is the whole um, idea behind kombucha, and I think it's, it's all around our microbiome health and making sure that we're doing the best to make that as healthy an environment as possible. You may or may not have heard that probably 10, 10 years ago, at least, and beyond that, doctors were much heavier handed at writing prescriptions for antibiotics. And a lot of it was based on patients demanding antibiotics for something as simple as a regular cold. The problem with antibiotics is although they are extremely beneficial for handling some severe bacterial infections and in fact are necessary to avoid death in some situations, the problem with them is they also destroy the good bacteria. So um, with the overuse of the antibiotics, years ago, which thankfully has lessened recently, many of our microbiomes were really being altered negatively. And a lot of that good, healthy bacteria was being destroyed by those antibiotics. And therefore, we were, we were really out of sync. So there's thankfully been a lot of research and analysis and much more awareness now about limiting the use of antibiotics to when they're needed because they absolutely serve a purpose, but not to overuse them and to make sure that we're doing our best to keep our microbiomes as healthy as they can be for, for all the bodily functions that that influences. Well, you mentioned something in there that was one of my final questions I wanted to ask you too. You mentioned the connection between kind of your gut bacteria and your brain. And I, one of the final questions I actually wanted to ask you was, anything that you know about the correlation between kind of what you eat and I guess just like mental health and the energy you have, because I, I do think that, you know, the mental health crisis is real. And I, I look at solutions to help people kind of feel more clarity um, in their life. And, and I'm curious if you know anything about the connection um, or any science or, or articles you've read that talk about the connection between kind of what you're eating and, and I guess your mental headspace or, or how that gut bacteria correlates with, your happiness or I don't even know, I don't know exactly what it correlates to, but I've heard some things and I'm curious what you know, anything about that. Yeah. So I think our mental health and well-being is a factor of many different things. Right. Um, but I absolutely believe that what we eat can certainly have an influence on that. So 
to give you some more specific examples, again, um, sugar really is kind of the the villain in the equation here. So many people suffer from what we call emotional eating, where they may be unhappy for whatever reason. They may be sad. They may be stressed. They may be angry. They may be depressed. And a lot of people try to soothe themselves with food, for example, sugar or alcohol or a drug like tobacco. We tend to try to find something that's going to make us feel better, right? And we think initially, oh, if I just have a piece of chocolate, I'll be happier. If I have that cupcake, I'll be happier. If I have that drink, I'll be happier. If I have that cigarette, I'll be happier. And in reality, it might give us a temporary happiness. You know, that sugar hits your brain and you get that instant sugar high, right? So there's a little bit of a happiness factor, maybe briefly. Um, Same could be said for alcohol and or tobacco. But then in all three of those cases, after we've processed that sugar, and we process that sugar pretty quickly because that's our preferred, that's what our body goes to first for fuel. And so we process that, that sugar and then we have that sugar low, right? And that's when we start feeling weak and kind of crabby and tired and, um, you know, that can deplete our energy physically as well as mentally. Similarly, alcohol, right? So we get that initial um, maybe feeling of elation, right? Especially in a social situation, we think we're having fun. But then pretty soon that alcohol, again, has a lot of sugar in it, starts pretty soon we get really tired. And um, that, you know, can actually make us even more depressed um, in the long run. Tobacco is probably a similar initial satisfaction. So I think that when we focus on real whole foods that don't have all the additives, all the added sugar, that don't have all the preservatives and all the chemicals that we can't even pronounce, when we focus on real vegetables, you know, real fruits, um, whole grains, you know, good, real protein that hasn't been ultra processed with all kinds of additives. There's a lot less there to interfere with in terms of our brain function, in terms of our physical health. Um, You know, we're going to be less likely to have something that's going to cause cancer down the road. When we focus on just good, real whole food for nutrition, That is what our body needs. That's what our cells need. That's what our muscles need. That's what our brain needs to function at its optimal, optimal best performance. So, you know, if if you want to feel like you want to take a nap at three o'clock in the afternoon at your desk at work, well, make sure to have a big plate of pasta and, um, (laughs) you know, not much else for lunch. And trust me, you'll want to take a nap at three o'clock. Now, if you, on the other hand, want to be alert and awake at three o'clock, have yourself a green salad with lots of vegetables, some sort of lean protein, glass of water, and chances are you will be much better fueled to last your afternoon, both mentally and physically. So it absolutely can make a huge difference. 
And I think that a lot of people know that they shouldn't be reaching for sugar or alcohol or something else in times of sadness or stress or anger or depression, but they've built a habit for themselves and it's a hard habit for them to break. But I think that once they try a healthier alternative and really be mindful and pay attention to how they feel, they might have the motivation to make a change. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. I have two final questions for you that I like to ask most guests who come yeah. on the show. Um, and this is going back to yourself. I like to ask what people consider to be the pillars of what makes their life good or what makes their life extraordinary as I'm trying to understand what people kind of consider to be the good parts of their life. And I, I know before we talked, I shared a few with uh, a few of mine with you that were based around purpose and community and health. But I'm curious what you would consider to be some of the pillars of what you consider makes your life one that you enjoy and one that you um, like to live. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that, you know, that answer, obviously, again, is very individual for people. But for me, the number one most important thing um, for me is happiness. And that is the number one most important thing for all the people that I know and love in my life. I, I To me, that, that rise priority over everything else. And that what makes people happy, of course, differs dramatically. Um, someone might be happy living in a cabin off the grid in Alaska and be, you know, happy as a clam there. Somebody else might be um, happier in a big city in, you know, a big expensive condominium somewhere with a job that pays them millions of dollars a year. So I think happiness is very individual for every person, but I think happiness, no matter what that is for you, um, for me is, is really number one. I would also say that a sense of curiosity and learning is really important um, to me. I am extremely curious. I love learning. I, I love learning every single day. I, I think that we continue to learn until the day we die. And I think that that's what makes life so interesting. I, I can't imagine a life without learning. I think love and connection are critically important. And I think that we all need to have connection. We are social beings. So again, that might be one really close friend or family member. It might be a hundred close friends or family members, but we need to have some connection and love and support in our life. And I think we all need to prioritize our own health and well-being um, mentally and physically. So I think we all need to take the steps to do that. We need to recognize or learn for ourselves what enables us to be our healthiest self physically and mentally and make sure that we are including those things in our life to the best of our ability. So I think those are probably my primary pillars of an extraordinary life. Does that, does that answer your question? <laughs> yes, it does. That's perfect. <laughs> okay. Well, my final question then is a, a main message or a piece of wisdom you would like to leave with the listeners of this show, a, a parting message, if you will, um, after all the incredible information you just shared with us. Yeah, I think um, I think it's kind of what I was just saying, and, and that is um, to prioritize your health and, and happiness in your life. 
and decide what that means for you and to take steps to enable that for yourself because so many people that I talk to as a health coach don't prioritize their health. They prioritize so many other things in their life before their own health and their health falls lower and lower and lower on their list and they suffer from it physically and mentally. So I think that we all owe it to ourselves to do the very best we can to make that our number one priority and to take steps to to be our healthiest, happiest selves in life. Amen. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, thanks for sharing all of this. This was a super insightful uh, conversation for me. I feel like you shared a lot of awesome and valuable information. Um, if there's uh, somewhere you could direct people, like if they want to learn more about the work you do or get in contact with someone like you or maybe the work your company does, is there a place that I could write in the show notes and direct people to, um, whether it be a website or an email or something like that? Um, I suppose, sure. So, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, I guess. That would probably be the best way to reach out to me. And then, um, yeah, if they are interested in uh, my company, the name of the company is Virgin Pulse. And uh, we are a company that's all about health and wellness. Uh, so if they want to, you know, take a look at that, they might get a better idea of what we do and why we do it. And uh, there's probably, you know, some more information there about the health coaching as well. But I'd certainly be happy to, you know, answer any questions anyone has about that um they could probably just reach me through linkedin awesome well thanks again Polly. this has been an awesome conversation and uh i wish you only the best of luck with your future endeavors in this new field thank you so much tim i really enjoyed it and um, i wish you all the best as well and i um, can't wait to hear about some of the other speakers you're going to have on the podcast Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the show. I hope that this episode helped you become more curious about the possibilities of our nutrition, our physical health, our mental health, and the things that we can really do to live our best life each and every day. As mentioned in the show, I will include Polly's contact information if you would wish to get in touch with her or ask her any questions. And as always, beautiful people, go live an extraordinary life.